Good morning, afternoon, and or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. I am Steve. And I'm Pat. We're here to bring you in-depth analysis and discussion around everything to do with real estate and home loans. So grab yourself a cup of something that makes you happy, or keep your hands on the wheels and enjoy. We're going to try something this episode that may or may not be useful or entertaining. Let's find out. But I do want to give out a little bit of a disclaimer. Some of the numbers that we are going to be discussing, Pat is going to be on the fly running calculations and ballparking. So any of the information really, like mostly should be used for entertainment. Um, And that's the disclaimer part of this episode. Um, But really it's, it's information that's loose. So, you know, like if I happen to say my income is the exact number that you're saying that you make, don't rely on this conversation. Okay, so yeah, let's let's have a real conversation about that, you know, and and dive into the numbers specifically. But I think this is going to be a great exercise for our uh, for all of our listeners to understand a little bit of like what a conversation may or may not look like with a lender, an agent, and a pre-approval process. And I think we're going to touch a little bit on affordability as well. Yep, so we're going to talk a little bit about affordability and what it looks like to buy a house. So I am I am a geriatric millennial. I am 40 years old. I was raised in an era where I was a child without the internet, and I was a teenager as the internet was being explored by all of us, and I have an adult life of the internet. Um, Pat is a millennial as well. He's 37. Um, and I grew up with no internet as well. Uh, I think as a teenager, I explored no internet as well. And I, and I, I barely use the internet as an adult other than for work. So I am probably the world's worst millennial uh, when it comes to uh, technology in, in, certain, in certain ways. And my business partner can attest to that. Okay, so what we're going to be doing is um, I'm going to pretend to be a buyer and just kind of like go into Pat's proverbial office, which really is just him sitting in front of a computer and having conversations. Do you ever meet with people in person? Not really anymore. Um, We did a a little bit, but even prior to COVID, um, our business was pretty much over the phone. The one thing that's been great, uh, I shouldn't say the one thing that's been great about COVID because there's really nothing that's been great, but it has allowed us to interact better face-to-face in my business because people are so much more comfortable with platforms like Zoom or Teams. So we spend a whole bunch of time face-to-face with people now that we were used to just spend on the phone. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, So I'd probably say I meet Zoom or Teams meeting with probably three people a day on average. So um, there's a lot of interaction, uh, which which is good. So yeah, that's how it would be. But as far as like face to face meetings, none really. I mean, happy to do them, but you know, like finding time to coordinate with people to meet in an office just doesn't really. Even in my industry, I mean, it's different agent to agent, but for me, most of my conversations are email and phone calls and texts up until the point where we're meeting at houses. Right, which again, we don't meet at houses, so the, all of ours is done either over Zoom, text, phone call, kind of the, the same same thing. So. Okay. Well, um, I have a you know something that I send to all my, my clients where it's the 10 steps to buying a house. Step one is having the light bulb go off that you want to buy a house, and step two is getting pre-approved. Uh, we can probably cover steps three through 10 in later episodes, but I really just want to, I'm going to take on the role of a um, millennial 
Well, I'm not. I mean, I'm just gonna take a role in somebody my age, because I am a millennial. I don't have to take on the role of a millennial. I don't feel like I'm a millennial, but I am, and I'm not. I don't know. I'm old for a millennial. Okay. Anyway, here we go. Step one. Ding. I just decided I want to buy a house. Um, I, I I don't know any realtors, so I called up a bunch of people, put up a Facebook post, got a bunch of referrals for a realtor. Found this guy Steve Bryan. He was great. He told me that I should talk to Pat Lindgren, so now I'm talking to Pat Lindgren. Hi, Pat. I want to buy a house. My name is Jerry Jerryson. Jerry Jerryson. Well, it's great to it's great to e meet you or text meet you or phone meet you. Um, all all platforms are welcome. And typically, similar to Steve, we have a, kind of a do's and don'ts and a loan process that we send out to each of our clients just to give some familiarity with uh, un, uncharted waters. I would say a good chunk of our business right now is first time home buyer. And they're yes, man. And I want to know what the do's oh, of your yeah, process yeah, is. Yeah. One of the things that we send out is, like I said, the loan process, but the do's and don'ts um, are, are, are extremely helpful. And I kind of go through a couple of them real quick. So like one of the ones that, that comes up per, first uh, for home financing is you're going to need homeowner's insurance. So early in the process, once you're under contract, you're going to want to reach out um, and speak to your insurance agent about a possible policy on your property. A big one for us, provide all documentation that is requested in a reasonable amount of time. What's reasonable amount of time mean? 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just no. be really... So. Uh, 48 is, 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 is reasonable, but honestly, as soon as possible, because the loan process can go so quickly depending on your close date. One of the things that we... Um, that we, we reiterate often is as soon as we request something, if you can get it to us, that would be great. We're going to prep most of it earlier in the process, but when something's needed, if you can get it as soon as possible, that's... So if I'm just being selfish and not really taking your time into consideration, and let's say I don't get you that documentation within a reasonable amount of time, how is it going to create stress for me? Like, how does it affect me? Well, how it affects you is kind of on the back end, right? Because we have so many different people that are involved with a loan. Um, that's that's one of the challenges of, of lending, right? We have appraisers that are involved. We have title companies that are involved. We have agents selling and listing agents that are involved. We have buyers. We have homeowners insurance. And then we have all of our internal people, which is you know, a loan officer, we have a processor, a loan manager, an underwriter, a closer, a doc drawer, and a doctor, a doctor, a doc drawer. And a that's the person that drawer. we really want to get the loan, which is the person in the very end that is drawing the closing docs to send to the title company for the client to execute to close their loan. Everything is done electronically, right? So like they're the ones we call them doc drawers, but the best way to refer to it. And sometimes they're the same as a closer uh, funder depends on what organization you're and honestly, that could all be one person. A lot of times it's not just because of the velocity, right? Like you need somebody separate to handle just your closing docs and funding your loan. So with all of those people that are involved, the, the time that it takes to get documentation back, the next person can't necessarily start their job. So it just has potential to push closing dates out, which in you being an agent can tell me how much fun that is. That is never, that's like the worst thing that could happen in our world is sometimes, when we don't miss closing. Sometimes it's fine, um, but sometimes it can create big problems. 
Right. On both sides of the transaction. Right. And that's the that's the challenge. And then, you know, people get frustrated. And the last thing that we're ever going to say is like delays in documentation was the reason why we couldn't close on time, because there's so many people that touch this. It could be you. It could be me. It could be the underwriter. It could be the appraiser. It could be, you know, somebody sick with covid and, you know, we have to have that underwriter underwrite this file because they started it and they should fix it or complete it. There's so many balls up in the air that the ones that we can control, like returning documentation quickly, are very important and very much appreciated, I guess would be the best way to say that. Um, and then a couple of other things, um, you know, to keep in mind is make sure that you make all payments on time, continue to do that, right? Because it can impact your credit. Credit can be looked at at the end of a transaction. So, you know, that is extremely important. Um, make sure you stay employed um, make sure that you're not really changing your asset accounts around. Like the last thing that we really want to do in the middle of a, a transaction. And this kind of comes, comes in some of the don't section as well is switching bank and moving money. So, um, that, that also comes down here. And I would say the do's are important, but the don'ts are even more important. Um, and, and the thing for the don'ts is, you know, do not apply for credit in the middle of the transaction, meaning like try not to go buy a vehicle in the middle of buying a home because that debt hasn't been accounted for in the transaction and now we have to account for it. Um, that's a good example. Uh, make sure that all large deposits are cleared through your lender first. So, you know, if Grandma Jean gives you a $9,000 check and you go to deposit it, let's be sure that we have the conversation because more than likely we're gonna have to document that. A large deposit that comes through has to be documented. Um, don't co-sign on another person's loan don't change your like for a house or for anything yeah for anything really because again once you co-sign that debt becomes your obligation and then we have to include that in the calculation and it's unaccounted for to us up front right most importantly is if you're making financial decisions just let us know um, another one that is uh, you know again these are all things don't quit your job in the middle of a transaction um, if you have a job change please talk to us about it, um, especially in the middle of the transaction or after you've been pre-approved. Another one that gets a little goofy is like changing your name or address. These are all things that have come up and they cause problems because of verification and, and things like that. Um, and then the, the movement of money, right, is another thing. A lot of times people are getting gifts nowadays and it's best for us to have that money wired directly to the title company um, rather than saying gifted to you directly and deposited in your account, we can certainly do that. Um, but it's, it's easier and cleaner for everybody because if they deposit in your account, your gift or then we're going to need to verify their bank statements in some cases. And oftentimes they're not super excited about us asking questions about that. Um, whereas if they just send it directly to the title company, it works. So that's kind of like, and, and again, this is a, a, a great conversation because it's like read the do's and don'ts read the you know the home buying process read the loan process help digest some of that information so as you kind of go through this you're up to up to speed here's a here's a scenario that i'm you I, i'm break jerry has jerry's just left he's he's sitting over in the corner while steve comes back and has a conversation with pat i remember we had it we were in a transaction a few years ago and we had some clients who really wanted to buy a washer a dryer a new range and a new fridge because it was the Memorial Day weekend sale and it was going, you know, like legitimately was going to save them thousands of dollars by being able to take advantage of the sale. And they called, like, I don't, I, I made a joke to them 
about like, uh, you know, don't go out and buy anything over Memorial Day just because it's on sale. And he's like, that's exactly what we're going to do. And somewhere, like, they, you know, they didn't buy a car because you know, that's in the don'ts. But for some reason, it slipped their mind that they shouldn't go out and buy a bunch of... And it turns out they were paying with cash, but they talked to you for... I saw it in advance. I was like, you have to talk to Pat before you... And like, yes, it would be... I don't want you to lose out on that sale, but... If you buy that and then you don't qualify to buy a house, you now own a washer and a dryer and a fridge and a range, but not a house to put them in. And they're like, oh, hadn't thought of that. And I was like, it, it's probably fine, but talk to Pat before you do it. And it was fine. And it, and it is. And, and that's where it kind of comes into the question is like, if you're financing something new and that's a lot of money in things that they're buying, right? And if it adds another $200 a month to their payment for their debt to income ratio, that can be problematic. As well as the other thing is, is if they're paying cash for it, that's great. But also does that eliminate funds for their down payment, right? Yeah. So out of the account that we have verified, if all of a sudden they're $7,000 light, that's going to be a problem because it may be coming from a different account that we haven't looked at yet, right? So it's is, is there a way to maybe solve those problems? Oftentimes there is. The, the trouble is, is we don't usually know about it until it's happened and it's right before closing and it's like, ooh, now we gotta jump through all these hoops to solve that problem. And is there a chance it won't work out? Yes, is that very rare? Yes, but the last thing that you wanna do is be up against a close date, right? And then having to go document a whole bunch of things that have taken place and adding documents that add more questions. And then it goes back to kind of what I said before is like, has to go back through a loan manager, has to go back through an underwriter, has to go back through a closer, has to go back through a doctor hour. And then like all of those things take time. And that's the thing where days get added, right? And mm -hmm. then you have a seller that's like, we were supposed money. to close. I have another transaction that I need this money for, who has another transaction that I need this money for. And you bought a washer, a dryer, a, you know, whatever the case may be. And it's, you know, it could, could throw a wrench in it, so. Jerry just came back. Jerry, I'm going to step away from the microphone. Hey, Pat. It's me, Jerry. Uh, what else do I need to know? Well, so kind of like just what we like to open this up to is is typically like a Q&A, Jerry, like to understand where you're at in the journey, right? Like we, we greatly appreciate the referral from Steve. We uh, were fortunate to do a lot of business together. And um, what we're here to do is make this as least stressful as possible for that sounds good yeah for for what is a pretty stressful thing because we're going to be giving you hundreds of thousands of dollars mm, um I like that yeah right and and to become a homeowner which more often than not is the largest transaction of people's lives um and we want you to be prepared understand get all of your questions answered and then uh you know possibly provide some guidance throughout the you know throughout the transaction to make it you know like i said what we always talk about is like if if your average stress level is like a four right? We want to keep you at like a five to six because this is a stressful thing. What we don't want is to take this to a nine, right? Mm -hmm. If your average stress level is like a one or a two, maybe we get you to a three or four just because we're going to be asking a lot of you over the next 30 days. But what if my average, average stress level is like a, an eight or a nine? Eight or a nine? Well, then you probably have a pretty stressful job and this might be a walk in the park. Maybe we'll take you down to a six or a seven. I like that. I, I like never that want it to be down to, I never want it to be an eight or a nine. So hopefully this is a pretty smooth process. But I guess the first question is, is like, where are you at in the process with Steve? 
And, you know, is tell me a little bit about where you're at in the journey. Obviously, you want to buy a home. Is this your first home? I have not. Yeah, it's my first home. Uh, I literally just thought about wanting to buy a house last weekend. It's Tuesday. Uh, talked to Steve yesterday. He said, I get in touch with you. I, uh, I looked at your application. He sent me a link to fill out an application, but I, I didn't. I figured I'd just give you a call. And um, I want to, I would like to be looking at, I, I want to go look at houses this weekend. Okay. Well, that's all very achievable um, as long as, one, you complete that application. And then, two, we get the documentation that we need to get you pre-approved. But most importantly is us having a conversation here out of the gate to understand kind of what you're, what you're working with. Let me tell you what I'd like to accomplish, Pat, mm -hmm. in this conversation. I'd like to have a ballpark of what I can afford by the end of this conversation before I give you a single document. Okay. Well, that we can do. Very, very big ballpark, though, Jerry, just so you know that. So understanding that there's a lot of things that come into this. I'm going to ask you a couple financial questions, a couple personal questions, um, and then we can, uh, we can get on to a pretty good idea of what ballpark you're going to land in. So if you're good with that and you got some time now, let's go ahead and knock that out. That sounds great. All right, so first, are you employed? I am. Okay, how long have you been with your employer? Well, uh, I work for myself. Okay, self-employed? Yeah, I do, I do tech, I, de I develop apps. Okay, so a couple things uh, right off the bat is self-employed borrowers are a little bit different than say a standard W-2 borrower. And the reason being is because you have the pleasure of being able to control your write-offs a little bit more. Let me ask you a question real quick. Mm-hmm. What are most of your clients that are coming in looking for loans for? Are they W-2 or self-employed? I would tell you just by and large, just the percentage of people that are employed versus self-employed. Naturally, a lot more people are employed. Let's say I'm employed then for the sake of this conversation. For the sake of the conversation? Yeah, I'm employed. Okay, because that ballpark was going to require a lot of documentation being self-employed before we could even really get a rough idea. So since you are now employed and a W-2 employee, um, you've been there how long? More than two years. More than two years, okay. Well, that's great because we, we need a two-year job history. Um, being as you have a W-2, are you a base salary, hourly, commission? How, do you, how does your employer pay you? I get paid every two weeks. Okay. And is it the same amount every two weeks? It is. Okay. Then we're going to anticipate that you have a base salary. Now, the hard part here is, are you familiar with the difference between gross and net income? Let's just say I'm not. Okay. So... Gross is the number for a W-2 employee that we're going to work off of. The net is how much you get paid every two weeks. So when that money shows up in your checking account every two weeks, that's your net amount. So what I need and able to give you a, a ballpark calculation is what your, your gross is. So do you know if you have a base salary, like what that number is annually with the company by chance? I make about $94,000 a year. Okay, so perfect. And if, if uh, do, do you know if you're hourly or not? Or can we assume that you work 40 hours a week and it's a base salary? What's the easiest answer to your question? Uh, well, you know what? For the time being, since we're just working on a ballpark, in the last two years, you've made $94,000 each year? Yeah. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to run that as a base salary. If not, you have very consistently hourly income. Do you have bonuses, commission, anything like that? Sometimes my the CEO of the company gives me a five hundred dollar check for Christmas. Okay, he's he's real generous. <laughs> he's a real generous guy. Okay, really well generous. I appreciate that. Um, well, year over year, the good news is as long as it it happens the last two years, we can look at that. But for the sake of this, let's just have a conversation at ninety four thousand dollars a year. Okay. Okay. So you're looking to get out there and look at homes. Um, what 
are you comfortable with with a monthly payment? Have you thought about that or is that something that you want to get to? The, the, the reason I want to talk to you today, Pat, is I want to buy the absolute most expensive house I possibly can okay. given my circumstance. Okay. So in this case, I will tell you hard and fast, I'm going to give you a ballpark number, but I can't give you a max pre-approval without all of your documentation. We have to pull your credit. We have to look at your income. We have to verify your income. We have to know pretty much everything about you financially to be able to give you a max pre-approval. The reason being is because there is so many facets to this and we have to run you through an automated underwriting engine to determine what, Ooh. yeah, I know. You gonna buy me dinner first? It may have pro, mm, I don't, probably not. <laughs> Okay. Um, At least but, we're being honest. <laughs> exactly. Um, but but after we get all this stuff locked in, loaded, maybe you, me, and Steve can all go grab a bite to eat. Yeah, that sounds nice. <laughs> so w when we're talking about that, um, since you're looking for a max, and it doesn't sound like you're that focused on a monthly payment, we're just looking at how, how much home we can get you into. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk a little bit about your asset situation. Okay. Um, how, mu how much do you have as far as assets are considered to inject into this transaction, be it through your checking, savings, investment accounts, possibly 401k, or even a gift? Let's just say I have no family, friends, that would, or can friends let me borrow money? First of all, nobody can lend you money for this. It would have to be a straight gift. And can friends give me money? Not typically. Um, it would have to be a one-off situation. So for the sake of this conversation, and probably on a go-forward basis, let's say no. Okay. Uh, I don't have any family that could give me money. I would, let's say I've got about $75,000 liquid cash that would require no movement of money. Okay. For a down payment. Everything. How comfortable are you liquidating all of that? It's already liquid. It's just in a, it's just in a check. How, how much, how comfortable are you separating with all of that cash towards a down payment, closing costs, and prepaids for this loan? I, if I move into my house and have not a penny to my name, I will be a happy man. Okay. I want the most expensive house I can possibly get. Looking at that, the next question, because we haven't gone to a place of where you've completed the application and give us the documentation, which we will require before we're going to issue a pre-approval, because Steve and I, um, and, and everybody in this industry, we kind of have, uh, I don't want to say an unwritten rule, but we don't want to set anybody up for failure. So the last thing I want is to put Steve and you together going looking for your max qualification of a house, unless I am quite certain that you can achieve that. And there's a lot of things that are taken into consideration, but the primary one is going to be credit and liabilities, meaning how much debt you have and what your credit score is, as well as your credit history. So do you have a rough idea of maybe what your credit score is? Uh, 760. Okay, so use good credit. 740 is typically top tier as far as mortgages are considered. So from the difference in, again, we can get into a little bit of loan level pricing adjusters and risk-based pricing and things like that that would affect an interest rate and qualifications. Um, but we'll go with a 760 for the time being. With that being said, any debts that you have? You got any student debt out there? You got any cars? You got any Ferraris or boats? I owe about $1,200 a month on student loans. Um, I got a Netflix account. Does that matter? No, Netflix isn't really going to come into consideration here. Mostly just cars, credit cards, student debt, any any past medical collections, bankruptcies, foreclosures, anything like that. None of that. I got I got fifteen thousand dollars debt in on my credit card okay. and my monthly student payment of twelve hundred dollars a month. Okay, no car payments of any kind. Nope. 
I paid cash outright. Do you know what the Do you know what the minimum payment on that credit card is with the balance of fifteen grand is? The two fifty. And you said about twelve hundred in student debt monthly. Twelve hundred. Okay, so I'm just doing some quick math. That says you have about, you know, fourteen fifty in in outstanding debt, which goes against your your debt to income ratio. And you said your your base salary was ninety four thousand dollars. Did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. Ninety four thousand. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that gives you a monthly a monthly income of seven thousand eight hundred thirty three bucks. So the the thing that we want to remember is we're going to be working on a monthly ratio. So when we're when we're doing this, sorry, real quick, did you just take my monthly debts, multiply it by twelve, and then subtract that number from ninety four thousand dollars? No, what I did is I took your ninety four thousand dollars and divided it by twelve to give me your monthly income. Gotcha. And now so, are you going to subtract that fourteen hundred? Not not from this number. What we're going to do is we're going to take kind of a an average debt to income ratio on a conforming loan and and say, you know, it can go up to fifty percent. Um, typically, we like to see it at 45 or below. So just for a conservative number, I'm going to take 45% of that number and use that as kind of the debt-to-income ratio. That means that you have $3,525 in available debt service to purchase a property plus your other debts. That's the number that I'm going to take out the $1,450 from, and that's going to give you $2,075 in total monthly mortgage expenses and that's going to include your principal and interest payment your taxes your real estate taxes your homeowner's insurance as well as if you don't put 25 20% down on the property you're going to have mortgage insurance so took my annual gross income divided it by 12 and then subtracted my monthly debts no i took your i took your annual gross income multiplied i divided it. it by 12 okay and then i multiplied it by 45% and then you subtracted my monthly, monthly debts. debts, and the number you were left over with was what I can afford for my principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, or commonly known as my monthly mortgage payment. Correct. And if you don't put 20% down on a property, on a conforming loan, you're going to have mortgage insurance, which would also have to be taken into consideration for this. Roughly how much is mortgage insurance? Varies by credit score, but I would tell you probably a good estimator and again with 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 good credit you're probably around it. and again also loan amount there's a whole lot that goes into it but i'd say a good estimator is between 85 and 125 a month so let's just say 100 a month if okay. we're trying to ballpark it correct so if we subtract out the 100 on that because you're not putting down 20 percent but i mean with 75,000, i would tell you you're probably not going to be quite i have to that. buy a three hundred fifty thousand dollar house in portland oregon and steve told me that it's probably not going to happen i think that's probably accurate but that's a steve question <laughs> um which which takes us down to okay now backing out and this is where it gets a little challenging is the next two items that we have to back out are taxes and homeowners insurance homeowners insurance is going to be up to you but i would tell you in the portland market for an average home we're going to be looking at about 75 bucks a month, a $900 annual homeowner's insurance policy. That takes us down to $1,900 that we have to service basically your principal and interest payment plus your real estate taxes. So if you're looking at a house, let's say in the 450 range, would that be a good number to start with based on maybe a conversation that you and Steve had or what you're finding on Zillow or you just where have we even started down this road? 
Um, well, I think this is where I'm getting a little confused because without my documentation, your ballparks, it sounds to me like, what, what, would, what would be my ballpark? So of what you think I could afford. I guess I'm going to back into this a little bit differently and kind of just go from there. And and what I mean by that is let's say 450. So I have $1900 left over to play with. And if we take $450,000 purchase times 1% and divide that by 12, that that leaves us about 375 in property taxes. For Portland, we estimate and then again give or take, right? Um, just so you're aware, property taxes, we estimate about 1% of the purchase price. So in that point, I'd be taking the 1900 minus 375, which gives me 1525 for a principal and interest payment. So when I'm gonna solve backwards for that, that's gonna be the payment on a 30-year loan. That's gonna give you a loan amount of 324. And if I've got 75, if you've got 75, but I would say you're probably only going to get about 65 out of that because you have closing costs and prepaids, give or take, you're going to have, that gives me about a $390,000 purchase roughly. If I'm doing the math, it's 389, 304. Um, and that leaves you about $10,000 in closing costs and prepaids. Cause we want to account for that money as well. And when we're looking at the, these numbers, right, then your taxes would have been a little high because I was rough, roughing those at 450. So we, we probably have some love in this area as well as if you get me the documentation, we may be able to look and say, okay, hey, we could actually run that debt to income ratio a little higher. And that's why I say a ballpark. I would tell you comfortably probably around that 390 marker right now. Um, but by no means are we pre-approving you. This is just a conversation, right? You also have pretty high student debt. I would like to look at what that looks like on your credit report, because even though you may be paying 1200, that might not be required, um, which could change your calculation, as well as if we can take your debt to income ratio above the 45 that I calculated, which would be determined by the underwriting engine, um, as, as well as the taxes could be a little bit less now that I'm you know, at you at 390 versus 450. So there's a variety of things, if you can tell, like they can change this number. I would tell you, you probably, after we look at the file, it would probably be able to go north of there, but I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't feel comfortable until I had all of the documentation, as well as being able to pull your credit, verify what those payments on your credit card are, verify what the payments on the student debt is, to be able to have a much more educated conversation. But since you said ballpark, Let's just say we're in the Astrodome at 390 to 420. That's super helpful. I sent Steve a $700,000 house I wanted to go look at. Is it worth his or my time to go look at that house this weekend? No. Okay, thank you. That's uh, really answered my question. Um, I'm gonna go now and let Steve come back. See ya. Okay, so this is Steve. I'm back. Bye, Jerry. Bye. Um, is that typically a conversation you have with, because a lot of times what I'm getting when you were, I can't remember if we talked about it in this episode or the last episode, but there is the last one, speed, like it's fast paced. What I'm having a lot of people do is, you know, say they're thinking about looking at a house and then I tell them to get in touch with you and they don't. And then they send me a listing and say, we want to go look at this house. And I then send the, and I say, you got to at least call Pat and have a, a conversation. Is that what those conversations look like? Is the one that you just had with Jerry? Um, you know, I would say yes and yes and no. Um, probably because I'm a little bit more forceful when I'm not, not role playing with like Jerry. 
Yeah, with Jerry, I'm probably going to tell <laughs> I'm gonna Jerry. Feel bad like, for him. well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna break it down a, in in maybe a little bit different way. But I wanted I wanted everyone to understand kind of what the numbers look like and why it's so important that we get the documentation. And typically at the end of the conversation, um, instead of Jerry, like, and I know this is just for exercise. Jerry's like, okay, I get it. Like, we really need to go through this exercise if I'm serious about it. And that's when I I am usually sending you a text that's like, hey, don't put Jerry in your car with a seven hundred thousand dollar house. Yeah. Um, we got to wait till Jerry can completes their application, he gives us the information, and we can then, you know, determine what that looks like. Because what Jerry's telling me is $1,200 a month in student debt, that's typically not a student debt payment. Like, that's just not what we usually see. So there could be different avenues that we have. Um, and it, it's about getting that full picture. And at the end of it, like, it is right setting expectations. Because I, I can tell you that we do have Jerry call and say, I'm looking to buy a $700,000 house. And quite frankly, Jerry's probably max is somewhere in the 470 range. You know, I would tell you oftentimes though, we have somebody calling saying, Hey, I'm looking for, you know, a 470 and they end up being approved for, for 600. So it, it does go both ways, but there is the instant gratification of, I see, you know, what you got, Redfin, you got uh, Zillow, Zillow, Trulia, Trulia, Realtor.com, I mean, Living Room has an app, John Scott has, like there's like so many apps. All of these people have provided such great technology to get houses in front of people, but the challenge is, right, the payments are on there and it gives you a rough idea like, hey, this is about what it costs. And usually people are pretty knowledgeable about what they're comfortable affording each month and they can kind of work backwards in that. But those are also like perfect scenarios with 20% down, with great credit, with you know all of the bells and whistles, good interest rates because the credit's so good, great job history, all of that. So it, it is a good informational tool, but it doesn't necessarily paint the picture for that individual specifically, right? Because it's not taking mortgage insurance into account and other things like that. So I would tell you the call with Jerry is, is not exactly like that, but loosely, that's kind of what an initial call would look like, understanding the numbers, understanding where it's at, and then taking the next steps of being able to say, okay, hey, let's get you pre-approved because it, it's, it's not advantageous to Steve to go drive you around to homes that you can't afford. And the last thing we want is you getting your hopes up to buy a home that you, that you can't. And even less so about my time, like I want people, if you call, if they call you and have a ballpark conversation and you say, and you're able to ascertain enough information to say they're real close, then I'm comfortable taking them. You know, like in a perfect world, they, so, they have everything pre-approved and they have a letter and they fully know, but that's just not and, the reality. And right I, I want to touch on that because I really feel like this is the biggest miss is like the reality of it is we have to get the pre-approval. Like, and I know like you and I have conversations, like I think they're good for it, but the problem becomes, and this is, you know, we've been pretty fortunate in, in, in our relationship that we both hold our clients accountable, right? But there's yeah. sometimes that that doesn't happen on both sides of the fence. And I have a conversation like that. And the, the problem is, is like, even if they complete half an app or they give us half the documentation, then what ends up happening is they fall in love with the home and you're texting me going, I need to have an offer in by 10 a.m. tomorrow morning to be, and it has to be a competitive offer. What's the max that they can go to? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, they put together a, partial app they haven't got me any of the documentation that we followed up on constantly and now they want to write an offer and i'm saying i can duct tape 
glue this thing together to see if it works, right? And then you and I are both in a situation where you're submitting an offer potentially, and this doesn't really happen with us, but it has happened because we want our clients, and this goes back to the server please, right? We're pleasing our clients by putting them in the car, showing them homes, and then potentially writing an offer for them where they haven't done their due diligence by getting us the information. And then they're neck deep into this transaction that is that is now on a timetable, right? That has a whole bunch of people involved with it that have expectations of performance. And most of the time the client is so focused on the real estate, they are not now getting us our documentation request in 24 to 48 hours. It turns out that they didn't disclose the job gap that they had, you know, oh, I forgot to put that on the application, dang. We do a verification of employment and they have a three month job gap, right? And like, there's so many things that can go wrong by not doing that full pre-approval that it is just, it's, this is what we see a lot of with, with, you know, millennials and wanting it now. And Hey, what can we do and ballpark me on this and give me a rough idea and speed, speed, because we want to make an offer now because they fell in love with the property. And it's like the last thing that anybody wants to hear is, I'm really glad you fell, fell in love with this property and I really wanna write that offer for you, but you need to complete this pre-approval for me to know that this is good. Okay, so the sort of too long didn't read version, you should not be searching for houses without getting a pre-approval. If you wanna buy a house, get pre-approved. Like okay. it's step two of my 10 step buying process is, you have the step one, you think you wanna buy a house. Step two, get pre-approved. Yep. And there's a reason that's number two. You can't have number two without number one because there's no point in getting pre-approved if you don't want to buy a house. Exactly. And, and I think that, that that process we can make very easy for people. So, um, well, as easy as they want to make it for themselves too, I guess is there's a little bit of give and take there. But no, I think this has been a great one to understand kind of some of the, the basics and even, even a little bit more granular with like kind of how that process works. So, Awesome. All right, well that wraps up this episode. Thank you so, so much for sticking with us all the way to the end. I do wanna take a second to send out a huge thank you to Debs Baird for her skills behind the editing board and to Ezel, AKA Ethan Zirin Brown for his musical wizardry. Please do take a minute to rate and review and let us know if there's anything you'd like us to cover in future episodes. It really does help. You wanna say anything, Pat? No. Perfect. Thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next episode. And when I say see you, I mean you'll hear us, because we can't see you.